These top stories in the news, the city gets a court order barring the cops and the firemen from issuing those fear city pamphlets. Federal court orders Agriculture Department to come up with improved food stamp program. The state Supreme Court upholds the Westchester County rent hikes. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR, Radio 710, The Talk of New York. And here is Gene Shepard. yourself waking up at three o'clock in the morning hollering out something in an ancient tongue uh, somebody comes running what the heck did you say you said be careful friends that's what happens when you wear too many lampshades on your head at too many parties keep your knees loose now, speaking of uh, loose knees would you please play my loose knees incantation I have to get this said yes this is tonight's salute to dynamic, creative nervousness. Thank <laughs> you. 
like that, huh? Uh, throw them pearls, the swine. That's all they know how to eat. There we go. Ah. That certainly was good for the scientists, wasn't it, huh? Very good. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, clear the air here with a commercial. What do you say, huh? Yeah, sing it out, gang. It's our national anthem here. Our little tiny nation here. Someday you'll own. I say you'll own. I say sooner or later. Listen to me, Dad. It's inevitable. Sooner or later, you'll learn, General. I'd like to say here right now, and right now here, folks, friends and neighbors, the 60 years General Tire is one of the nation's leading tire manufacturers, but... General Tire means more than just tires. They're one-stop car care center. It's staffed by experts who know how to take care of that old wagon of yours. Keep them wheels moving, huh? They need anything like mufflers, uh, shock absorbers, uh, brakes, or little things that go up and down in your car. You get fast, dependable, up-to-date service using only name-brand parts. So, General, I say, yeah. I say, sooner or later, you'll keep them letters and the cards coming in, folks. Yes, sir, the old clock on the wall says it's time now to remind you that we're brought to you every night at this time by Purina Chick Chow. You got a slow-laying hen out there, you feed that slow-laying hen Purina Chick Chow special laying hen mash. And that little old hen's going to be laying eggs like machine gun bullets, like that. Remember, it comes in a big checkerboard bag. You find it at your local feed store. Just walk right in and say, Purina Chick Chow, I got a special hand that needs special laying mash. And that man will lay it on you. Hit the button. But they're taking me seriously. La da What do we got here? Come together right here. Let's see. This week, a grand buy is cornbread USDA choice boneless beef bottom round for shoulder roast, $1.48 a pound. And uh, they're having a big uh, Italiano food festival. Progresso Italian tomatoes with basil. 35 ounce can, 79 cents. Yeah. Viva Progresso. Can't help it, you know. It's just coming out of me like one vast sea of Rico Caruso sounds. Oh yes, everybody has a has a vague desire to play Pagliacci. In fact, many of us do. Oh, you didn't understand that, huh? Well, friend, that's why you're playing Pagliacci. Oh, Grand Union. Now, I have a... Don't worry, I have a story here. I'll tell you. Yes, I have a story. One of my proudest possessions. Uh, the story's about a, a great proud possession I have. And we all have little proud possessions that are secret things that we don't tell other people about. Like, for example, you're looking at the guy right now. Right now. You're just looking right at him who has a stainless steel and German silver penknife marked. Uh, it's in beautiful script. It's marked HMS Queen Elizabeth. 
or rather RMS Queen Elizabeth, not HMS. Now, what's the difference between HMS and RMS? Oh, HMS uh, means what? No, it does not. In our case, it means her. HMS stands for Her Majesty's Ship. Okay. What does RMS stand for? Royal what? Well, you, you're both wrong. Nothing but foul balls are coming out of the batting cage tonight. I'll tell you, that's what happens when the pitcher is throwing them sliders in batting practice. It's just really not playing the game. Uh, well, we're <laughs> well, one means Navy and the other means a privately owned vessel. You didn't know that. Well, HM refers to uh, the Navy, the Royal Navy. Uh, which high-potency vitamin do physicians recommend? It's Theragran. Uh, drop down to your local pharmacy or department drugstore section and ask them about this because they're given three ex 30 extra tablets. Uh, if you buy yourself a hundred, you know, bottle of hundred this month, you get a whole thirty extra ones. You can just go on an unbelievable vitamin binge. You know, mix them with vodka and have a hell of a time. Right there we go. Okay, fine. We're back in business here. And uh, before I uh, uh, go into this thing here, I'd like to remind you that this Friday, this is a little. A benefit we're doing here for the uh, Denville Public Library, which is uh, uh, the library in Jersey. Incidentally, why they're doing this is uh, every year they have an Authors' Day there, and uh, they want me to come and uh, you know talk about in God we trust and all. It's uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's very embarrassing. I, it's the hardest thing in the world is to talk about something you've written. It's really it's it's uh, it's easier to talk about your sex life. In fact, if you, you know, that's being done constantly. Uh, any any hour of the day, and I just turn on to any, uh, any TV show, and you'll find that going on. <laughs> Friends of the Denville Public Library, it's going to be at the Riverview School uh, in Denville, New Jersey, and that's going to be Friday, 8 p.m., uh, Friday the 13th. That's Friday, and I'll be there at 8, uh, you know, all things considered. That's uh, Denville, New Jersey, and it is open to the public. Uh, this is WOR, friends, in New York, the Big Apple, you know. And uh, somebody pointed out the other day that, uh, uh, you know, Mayor Beam has been accused from time to time of uh, not being the youngest mayor we've had. And uh, the, the the writer said, uh, well, you know, that's what's wrong with that. Uh, the funny thing about Mayor Beam, he's sounding more and more like Holden Caulfield every day. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, Holden Caulfield. <laughs> Incidentally, the, the same writer suggested that uh, what Mayor Beam ought to do now is to, you know, he tried everything else. He ought to try reading the comics. Uh... <laughs> that would be not a bad idea, you know, actually. <laughs> now, uh, Charlie Brown, Snoopy says, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, uh, all right, all right, all right. I'll leave the poor guy alone. You know, he's got enough problems. He really does. You know? Aren't you glad you're not New York? Or do you feel like you are? No, that's, uh, uh, have you been reading the editorial remarks from all the other cities around the country about New York and its famed profligate ways? 
I mean, we've got the only guys. We've had the only sanitation workers in the country who uh, who uh, could very easily, uh, uh, just with their retirement pay alone, half of them could uh, easily buy themselves the largest state in Bermuda. And uh, <laughs> oh well, that's New York. That's what makes New York so much, uh, you know, such a thing. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, of New York and a thing, uh, I'm. Uh, you know, the kid wrote me and he says, Shepard, you must have some secret things uh, that, uh, he says, would you please send me one of your favorite things? I want to keep it. I said, what the hell are you talking about, kid? I'm going to send you one of my things. Get out of the, uh, and it should be the other way. Every night, eh, I'm, I'm dripping my blood into this microphone for you. What are you doing for me, huh? Sitting out there quetching all the time. Oh, come on, commercial. He's got to go. Hey, yeah, he's got another commercial. Yeah, that's all you ever do. And here my blood is squeaking out. And you know, it's surprising. It may surprise you to know. I am giving you this blood every night. And I am a turnip. And you know what they say about turnips. You cannot get blood out of a turnip. And here you are. You're doing it. If you could see me, you'd see the green stuff growing out of the top of my head here. I am a turnip. And, uh, you know, you don't squeeze many turnips easy. You know, while we're on the subject of turnips... I am a model airplane builder. You know, I must admit that one of my secret vices, which I have never talked about much on the air, is that every time I pass a hobby shop, and they have in the window there, say, yeah, they have a they have a a model that somebody's you know built in, and it's hanging in the window there. One of the proudest moments of my life was a model of mine one time, which I was about fifteen at the time I built. And this is not the, the kind that you just stick together, you know, with the plastic wings. I'm talking about a model, buddy. I'm talking about the whole works. One-eighth inch balsa wood lingerons, including uh, uh, very carefully covering this baby with the Japanese rice paper. And Oh, wow. I, I built a model and entered it into a contest, and uh, I won, won the, the prize. Believe it or not, I won the first, only first prize I've won in my life, really. And I must add, one of the great first prizes. I couldn't think of a better one to win. And uh, I won the first prize. And you know what the first prize was? I won in this big model shop in town. was having this big contest in the middle of summer, you know, summer vacation. And uh, I went out, and I was always buying stuff like uh, spinners, and I was buying... Uh, yeah, I was buying. I was constantly buying different size wheels from them and piano wire, you know, and all that kind of stuff that you can get. And and uh, they announced we're going to have this contest. Well, the the prize for the contest was a scale model of a very very esoteric airplane, and uh, it was a beautiful model. Are you curious what the model was? It was a GB Super Sportster. Uh, a GB is a racing plane of uh, of great renown, and uh, but the idea of the the real prize of the model, the real prize, the real prize of the contest was they would hang the model airplane that won the prize for one month in the main window of this downtown department store with your name, your picture, you know, the whole that thing. Well, I, I worked for about six weeks on this model. I mean, 24 hours a day, night and day. And I worked down in the basement. I had this card table that I, uh, I had stolen from my, you know, my mother, and it was downstairs. And the reason I used the card table, did you know, if any of you are model builders, the card table is one of the best tables to use to build model airplanes because the card table, for one thing, is, is big. It's very flat, but 
it has usually a kind of a composition top that accepts pins nicely. Don't expect to use the card table. No, the round kind is not so good. No, no, no. This was a big square one. This is a strictly poker playing uh, card table. They don't play card. Uh, a good poker player will never play at a round table, by the way. Why not? You just take part in the game one time at a round table and see if you can win. There's somebody who knows about playing poker who's put you at that round table. So, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I'm sitting there from, from, from early June, see? I, I'm working on this model. I had bought the kit. And I, naturally, that was the whole idea. You had to buy a kit at the store to build it, see? I bought a kit of a Stinson Reliant, uh, which was a high-winged uh, monoplane single engine, Stinson Reliant. And all the other kids, of course, were building all kinds of fighter planes. See, and I was the only one that says, the heck with that. I'm going to build a, a really elegant... Uh, a really elegant model of an elegant uh, private aircraft, and so I built a Stinson Reliant, a gull-wing airplane. I worked, I worked from uh, roughly middle of, middle of June till probably the first of August on this thing. Hot weather, and one day I'm sitting down in the basement <laughs> where I was working on this thing. The reason I went in the basement, my mother could not tolerate any building airplanes upstairs because it was millions of pieces of little balsa wood and all kinds of pieces of paper and pins and glue and the whole jazz all over the floor. So I had this all set up in the basement right next to this uh, cinder block wall in the corner. And I had a lamp that my mother gave me and I had it all set up and I'm working away down there one day and it was hot. Oh God, it was hot. The temperature, 100, 120 down there. Humidity, who cares? You know, I'm sitting there in my jockey shorts working away at this model, sweating. And I had it, the plans were all spread out on the table and pinned down. And I was, you know, I had the wings all pinned out. And I was working away carefully one day. And, and I had been working about six hours on this model. You know, kid, kids can really get uh, uh, a fixation. <laughs> I was working night and day. So I'm working over this model, sweating away. Uh, little did I realize that it was a pioneer in what I was about to experience. A pioneer. Now, I had, I had just bought a brand new jug uh, of almost a pint of this very expensive aircraft dope, which I had brought down into the basement. I had it set up there, and I was, I had thinned it out, and I was very careful. I was using this to glue this balsa wood. This is acetone dope. You know what that stuff is, a light yellowish. So, I'm working away there. It's about four maybe 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just before dinner time, see, and I was trying to get something done before we had to go up and have dinner. Working with it. Hot, steamy down in the basement. It's June, and uh, you could hear the, the cicadas outside screaming and yelling, and, and uh, the crickets are cheeping away down in there in the basement. All of a sudden, all of one instantaneous moment I am floating around the ceiling I, I can't figure out what the hell's happening to me I'm floating around the ceiling literally everything is sort of billowy and I'm just sort of floating up and I come drifting down and I bounce off the chair and I'm floating up again I was flying better than my Stinson Reliant would ever fly I was the first kid in the world to get high on airplane glue. Bombed out of my skull. <laughs> Holy smokes. 
I had no idea, you know. I'm twisting around. Somewhere off, the heavenly chorus was singing. Uh, you know, I, I can't stand heavenly choruses, you know. And his heavenly chorus was singing, la da da dee, la da 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 dee. And I was floating around. And I'd, I'd land once in a while. Every time I would land, I would, uh, I would glue in another rib in the wing. And then I would float up in the air again. Well, I remember drifting up the stairs. My mother, you know, I could hear her hollering for a long, far distance, Come on up! Supper's ready! And I drifted along over the... Didn't touch the ground at all, and I went drifting right upstairs. It's funny, it's the first experience I ever had of going up two flights of stairs, just sort of drifting up like a like a balloon in a rising updraft. And I just drifted right into the kitchen, see, and I circled the table about three times where we had dinner all the time. I drifted around, seeing the old man is sitting there reading about the White Sox, and my kid brother is whining, and I drift around... And I come slowly down to a mooring, you know. I'm throwing out the anchor ropes. The Graf Zeppelin was slowly coming in to Lakehurst. <laughs> the old man looks up and says, what the hell's the matter with you? I said, I don't know. You could hear the birds singing there. And what he figured, you know, immediately was that I'd gotten into his Pabst Blue Ribbon, uh, which was absolutely not the truth. You know, no way, see. So... Anyway, that summer went by in a haze because <laughs> I spent it down in the basement. And I tell you, I couldn't figure it out. Every morning I would wake up with an unbelievable headache. At first, the thought was, you know, that I was growing another head. Uh, you know, kids get these strange thoughts. And then I would feel my head, you know, and I had just seen a movie with Betty Davis where Betty Davis was blind. Did you ever see that movie with Betty Davis being blind? Right. Uh, and yeah, she Dark Victory, something like that. And I had just seen this movie. See, uh, Schwartz and I made a mistaken moment. We went down to see this, a Dark Victory. We figured it was a war movie, and that uh, we wound up with Betty Davis up there yelling. See, and, and she went blind. Well, now <laughs> I, 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 it was funny. <laughs> I, I I had a brief, uh, you know, brief idea. Maybe I'm going blind. I'm going crazy. You know, in my head every morning. Little did I realize it was down there in the basement that it was all happening. You know, I was not much of a pharmacologist in those days. So, anyway, I finished the model, and it was just gorgeous, beautiful. I still have a picture of this model, by the way. Gorgeous model. It really was. I mean, I worked eight, nine, ten weeks on this baby. And I, I, I put it in a big cardboard box, all packed in cotton, and I took it down on a bus, you know, to the store, and I gave him the model, because it was entered in. And here, here he had shelves of these great models, see. And by God, one week later, it was announced in the paper that I had won the prize. And for one month, my Stinson Reliant hung down there in the window. And uh, my picture, just beautiful. And I uh, just loved it. Do you know I never got that model back? No, I went down, no, I went down to get the model. I, this was, uh, everybody has had a great disappointment in his life, something that really tore it, you know, for you. Everybody's got a few of those things in his life. Well, the day I was supposed to go down and get my model, I go down to get the model, and it was in this department store. It was not in the hobby store they were displaying it. They were displaying it in this department store. I go down to get the model, and uh, I go to the manager's office, and he says, wait a minute, I'll see about that. He says, I, I don't know where it went. I said, what do you mean you don't know where it went? He says, I don't know, it's gone. It was in a box back here, back at a desk. You know how they teach, you know, 12-year-old kids, they're not going to say anything more about it, except, uh, come on, kid, don't bother us. That's the last of my model. 
Somebody got a beautiful Stinson Reliant. I got the prize. But uh, I've often, ever since that time, been suspicious of prizes. In fact, I have to quote S.J. Perlman on the subject of prizes. He says, uh, don't give me Oscars when baby needs shoesies. Uh, you know? <laughs> so the prize, I had, I had the prize, but I didn't have my Stinson. And the prize, uh, you know, consisted of a, of a picture of the window where my plane was, and, and also a $2 a kit for a GB Super Sportster. But the kit that I had built was about a $7 kit. Well, so, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. And I suppose you do things for art, right, art's sake. So, uh, nevertheless, I personally right now have a true collector's item among, among uh, model makers. Now, I built this myself. I built it, uh, this is not a kit. Because as far as I know, no kit was ever made of this plane. I built it from uh, from pictures and from uh, a line drawing, actually a uh, a cross section drawing that I once saw in a popular aviation magazine of the aircraft. I'll ask you a question. This is a piece of true dynamic trivia. The aircraft that I built and I still have the model, and it's in perfect A1 condition, is one of the most mysterious airplanes that ever existed anywhere. Now, I'll give you a clue. Its official designation was HK-1. What aircraft is that? What? Oh, no. Much more mysterious than that. Correct. Uh, that's correct. What was it more popularly known as? Okay, I. That is correct. The Spruce Goose. Now I want to say something about that. Do you know that that I think probably when our century is over, when our century is over, uh, by about the year 2010, they will they will begin to really write about this strange. He's he's almost a quintessence of American. This, this, I think Howard Hughes is probably one of the most mysterious men that ever lived, <laughs> and, and one of the one of the most fascinating characters that ever lived. Uh, he, he's he's out of fiction. Howard Hughes is, and and I have some information for you. I, I've got something to read to you here. One of my spies keeps me very much abreast of this stuff. And do you want to hear what's happened recently with the Spruce Goose? Well, you know, the Spruce Goose, there was a great furor in aviation circles about, oh, roughly uh, a year ago. They were about to dismantle the Spruce Goose. Well, there was a great underground movement to keep this aircraft. Because, for one thing, you know, it's, it's truly a unique airplane. There's been, never been any airplane ever built like this. Uh, for starters, it's the largest airplane ever built, ever. That includes the 747. Did you know that? It's the largest airplane ever built, and it was built entirely out of wood. Spruce, to be perfectly honest, it was built out of wood. And it was fantastic. It was like, what that airplane really is, in, in essence, is a gigantic model airplane. It's, it really is. It's built out of wood. And uh, there's this baby, see. For years, this airplane uh, was, was a mysterious rumor. And I'm going to read to you the latest information on the Spruce Goose, if you're into this kind of stuff. The Spruce Goose is about to leave its hangar after 28 years, the first time. 
it really did fly. I'm quoting here uh, a, a very esoteric uh, newsletter uh, for, for aviation freaks. You probably know that I own an airplane and I'm an aviation cuckoo, right? Listen to this. It really did fly. After five years of construction and after pouring an estimated $20 million of his own money into the project, when government funding ceased, Howard Hughes personally flew his HK-1 Hercules. That was actually the definition. The plane was actually called a Hercules. Or the Spruce Goose, a distance of about one mile at an altitude of 85 to 100 feet over the water of Los Angeles Harbor on September 2nd, 1947. The flight was totally unexpected. This is what makes Howard Hughes a mysterious character. The flight was totally unexpected and unplanned. I'll ask you another piece of trivia. What movie dealing largely with early aviation, a fantastic movie for, for the stunt flying that was involved in it. Oh, some great stunt sequences, uh, both formed by Paul Mance and Frank Tallman, was about the life of Howard Hughes. All right. Now, that's, that's a piece of trivia. No, it's an old movie. It's a, it's a movie that came out uh, oh, some time ago. Anyway, Howard Hughes, you know, a lot of people know the name Howard Hughes. They keep thinking, you know, he's this big financier. But he is. But he's, <laughs> he's truly, in a way, he's a combination of Daddy Warbucks, James Bond, uh, um, Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's almost everything, you know. Uh, I mean, there's a little touch of uh, Fu Manchu, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, there's large elements of Hefner in it. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, he's, he's a character that you couldn't have... If you had created a character in fiction, and I say this as a fiction writer, people would say, you know, he, he's created a fascinating, unbelievable character, like Top Job, or like uh, Odd Job, you know. He's a fascinating character, but you know, you can't believe there's an Odd Job around. But you sure as hell... Uh, there is a Howard Hughes. Now, do you hear this is the kind of guy he was and is? Listen to this. The flight was totally unexpected. It occurred on a day when the huge flying boat was conducting taxi tests in the harbor. For those of you who don't know anything about this, this airplane had uh, 16 engines. That's right. It had, uh, it had uh, four great pods on each wing with, with pusher and, and, uh, and puller both push-pull engines on both sides of a gigantic airplane. And it was a flying boat. Tremendous, uh, tremendous boat. It still is. You know, that airplane exists. Anyway, the flight was totally unexpected. It occurred on the day when the huge boat was conducting taxi tests. Now, a taxi test on a great aircraft like that is like taxi tests, really, on uh, the carrier Forrestal. In other words, they're trying to figure out how she floats and... Uh, and how, it's, uh, how it deals with tides and how it handles and currents and all that kind of stuff. Very involved test. See? So they're out there just slowly taxiing this thing around in this, these currents and the crosswinds and all. And several, they were doing it in the harbor, see. Several reporters aboard the aircraft, having witnessed Hughes, Hughes was testing the controls, see. And uh, he's sitting at the control room. You know, you know it's, it's not many guys, uh, you know, of this type of a giant... Uh, uh, I suppose you might say tycoon do these things themselves. So Hughes is setting himself down. You know, he sits at the controls and he's he's doing these tests. And uh, they're, they're, the reporters are aboard at sea, and he was testing just the stability. And uh, so the reporters asked to be let off. 
you know, okay, you know, we've seen it. They, they were out there for a couple of hours so that they could go and file their stories. Well, a motorboat pulled alongside the plane to pick up the reporters. And the reporters disembarked. And the next few minutes made many of them wish they had stayed on board. As the reporters looked on from a, from a distance, Hughes, just apparently uh, out of a sudden whim, applied full throttle on the aircraft, which still today remains the largest ever built in the world. He, built, he poured full coal to this baby, and she slowly started to roar along the surface of the, of the bay in Los Angeles, and then broke the surface and took off. And they're, they're, they're amazed, you know. The plane uh, had never been flown. It had never been tested. And here was Howard Hughes, this multi-multi-billionaire, flying it himself. You'd think, you know, they'd go out and get the greatest... Uh, by the way, he, he was a test pilot of his own right. So he took this baby off and he flew it along the surface. It was the only flight for the Spruce Goose. She flew about a mile at about 85 to 100 feet. That's about a 10-story building height. Just flew along. And there, there were taking... They were taking some some uh, historic photographs that were taken at the time just by people who happened to have cameras around there. And there's a picture of the spruce goose uh, <laughs> hanging hanging uh, right over the water there. See, and that's the only flight that it ever made, the largest airplane in the world. Anyway, she landed, and after the flight, it was built entirely of wood. After the flight, Hughes taxied the craft back to the specially constructed dock where a hangar was later built to house the plane. The plane has not moved since. It's remained in the hangar under armed guards for reasons known only to Howard Hughes. He's a mysterious man, known only to himself for over a quarter of a century. And right this minute, that plane is in the dark out there, in that hangar, and armed guards are patrolling it. Hughes' reasons for isolating the aircraft, which pioneered many large aircraft design innovations that were responsible for the technology available in today's jumbo planes, remains his own. But recently, various museum interests announced an agreement was made with Hughes' corporation, the Suma Corporation, which called for the Spruce Goose to be put on display in the Smithsonian and other institutions. They're going to take it around. The prospect of carving up the historic plane caused groups all over the country to get up in arms. With it. It's a great historic airplane. On April 10th of this year, they finally approved the, uh, the bill and the legislation and all the rest of it, and the Spruce Goose will be preserved in its intact state as a historical creation, and it will be on permanent display in, the, in Southern California, ultimately, where it was built in an aero museum. They're going to have this baby sitting there, just sitting there. You know, I, have, you ever, have you ever looked at great historic aircraft? Because, uh, you know, I think 100 years from now, people are going to want to see the things which we took so much for granted in our century. Because by then, uh, obviously, things are rapidly changing. And by the year, let's say, 2175, things which we have today will be you know, are just common to us, will be not only exotic, but truly historical. Do you know that after World War II, how many of you are aware that immediately after World War II, due to uh, all kinds of disarmament treaties, practically the entire Japanese Air Force was uh, destroyed with bulldozers, burning, they burnt them all up, and, 
And it was for years before they could even find an intact model of a zero, of which they had thousands at one time. But many of the great aircraft have almost completely disappeared. Uh, you know, people use such terms as, the, you know, the Falker triplane. Do you know that there is not one authentic Falker triplane in existence? And there were, there were hundreds of them, in fact, thousands made in World War I. Did you know that there's not one authentic one that remains? <laughs> That's the one that uh, uh, Richthofen flew. So if you ever see one and you think you've seen a real one, you haven't. Those are, those are uh, models that have been built up. Uh, in other words, they make a, a, a complete uh, mock-up of the, of the same airplane. But the actual authentic Fokker triplane no longer exists. There's not a single one in existence. Very few, it may surprise you, very few fighter planes of World War II, of which there were thousands made right out here in Long Island, exist. I can give you examples of, the, of ones that have practically disappeared. For example, one of the biggest uh, production runs of all was the famous Thunderbolt. What, uh, what model was the Thunderbolt? The P-47. That's the great big Thunderbolt, the biggest fighter, single-engine fighter plane ever built. There are only a few models of those remaining in the world today. <laughs> and, and, and the ones that are remaining generally have been maintained by private interests who said, let's keep this historical thing. It was the airplane that was the scourge of the Luftwaffe over World War II's skies in Europe. Very few of them remain. Even the, uh, the early jets have already disappeared. Uh, the F-80 Shooting Star, which uh, was a big airplane in the early days of the Korean War, is practically non-existent. Uh, another aircraft that, that uh, great historical aircraft was the uh, was the Black Widow, the P-61 Night Fighter, one of the first lethal radar aircraft. And those are about as rare, believe me, as uh, as 17-legged chickens. Very rare. Do you know that that some of the great uh, uh, smoke fighters, some of the great firefighters in the far west? use World War II fighter planes and bombers for their work. In fact, there was a, there was a series the other day uh, on TV, a great series on, on uh, not a series, a special, on uh, fighting fires in the far northwest. And over the hill came this great airplane, and it drifting down, and had the big bomb bays open, and they were laying this stuff right down on the fire. And what was it? A flying fort. <laughs> she did a fantastic Shondell and climb. And, and these things are almost completely non-existent. You know that right now, one of the most spectacular sights I've ever seen in my life, as, as, a, as a ghostly sight, uh, outside of Washington, in a great hangar, tremendous hangar, just, it's actually a big barn, at this minute, sitting in, in, uh, in abject silence, uh, covered with uh, various types of protective coverings, and you could still see the markings on the side of it. I saw it one night in a, in a curious twilight light under a couple of yellow light bulbs. The Anyola Gay. Do you know that airplane? You don't. Oh, talk about a fateful aircraft. It was a B-29 and is a B-29. The Anyola Gay is the plane that dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. 
You mean you didn't know that? The Enola Gay, E-N-O-L-A. I'm amazed you know that. I thought everybody had assumed you know the name. Enola Gay, E-N-O-L-A, G-A-Y, was the uh, name of the plane. That uh, the pilots had named, the, the guy that flew it was a colonel. And uh, he had named it the Enola Gay. And uh, she, you know she's still in existence, that airplane? Uh, wow. <laughs> I, I uh, talk about the historic planes. One time I was in, uh, in Indianapolis. And uh, if you go into the airport of Indianapolis, there's a, uh, a hangar down there that has the name of a great American aviation pioneer, Roscoe Turner. Now, the big thing, it says Colonel Roscoe Turner Enterprises. Well, I was able to, uh, I was able to win my way inside. <laughs> and and uh, sitting there in absolute pristine, uh, practically uh, every bolt intact is a great racing plane of uh, Colonel Roscoe Turner's been a big 57 on the side, painted, painted gold, sponsored by Heinz Pickles. That's why it said 57 on the side. <laughs> Do you know that one of the great historic airplanes was found in a high school here in the East, being used by a high school aviation class? You know, for years it had been sitting there, they kept taking it apart and putting it together. And they discovered a great aviation uh, find, and it's now hanging in the Smithsonian after being completely restored. And I think a uh, hundred years from now, uh, the people walking around in that town are going to want to see a Volkswagen. Really, they're going to want to see a Ford Pinto. A really, a mint Pinto. That's fantastic. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine what a what a what a uh, say a uh, uh, a mint? Well, let's just say for argument's sake, a, a Pinto will be worth in the year twenty one seventy five. You better stock stockpiling, buddy. <laughs> this is. WOR New York, stay tuned for In Conversation.